another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeff. As usual, joining me from, well, not as usual, but again, from a payphone somewhere in the Midwest is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome. Hi, thanks, Jeff. I got a whole pocket full of dimes, so I'm going to make it the whole show this time. (laughs) Have you stopped at the mystery spot yet? Well, of course. That bumper sticker that I see everywhere. I have no idea where the mystery spot is, but. I don't know either, but uh, I've probably been there. Yeah. You know how it is. They don't like to tell you where it is. Thusly keeping it a mystery is what I hear. Yeah. But It's like when we did a show on the unwritten rules. I had to think of them all because I couldn't write them down. You know, so I just had to keep them in mind. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some baseball, shall we? Before we get into uh, our main story this week. Let us first throw on the, I think most BP jerseys are, are, are pullovers, I think. I don't think most players actually wear their BP jerseys. They just wear like a sweatshirt or something. But let's put it on regardless. We'll put on our two-in-ones because that seems to be what people wear during BP. And let's warm up with a little something here. I wanted to talk, Mark, if we could. We A couple of months ago, we had a discussion about the five greatest living players. And unfortunately, we've had a couple of, of guys of past recently, specifically Lou Brock and Tom Seaver, who yes. I think Tom Seaver was in our discussion a couple of months ago in terms of the, the five greatest living players. So let's I thought maybe we could revisit that a little bit here and, and just kind of take another look at it and see who who we think might be those five greatest living players now that a couple of the greats have passed away here recently. Well, that's a great idea because um, Seaver was in my top five. So I, I have had to, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are more important things to think of, but I didn't know what they were. So I've been kind of batting around who my five greatest living players are. And I, yeah, let's talk about it. Remember, we already answered everybody's first two. <laughs> yes. Okay. So first is Willie Mays. Willie Mays is number one, right? Absolutely. Then Hank Aaron is a close number two. That's correct. And if anybody doesn't have those guys one, two, you're not part of this discussion. Okay. Yeah. You're just not. You could still listen to the podcast, but don't, don't add oh, us right. if you don't think those are the two greatest living baseball players. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. So, so you got three more. I'm going to go again with Bob Gibson. Okay. You know, the, and I'll give you a little hint why. We know we've gone over his pitching stats and, of course, the 1968 season with the 1.12 earn run average. But something else, I, I did a little research and found a little something else that kind of pushes me that direction. Did you know how many home runs Bob Gibson hit in his career? <laughs> no. How many did Bob Gibson hit? 24. Wow. Yeah, wow. He also drove in 144 RBIs during the course of his career and stole 13 bases. That is, that's a pretty good season for, for just a normal <laughs> batter. I saw that. I go, you know, I wonder. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, about, you know, players that play both ways and so on. And I was like, I wonder what Gibson's stats were hitting. Wow. The man could hit 24 career home runs. That would not have been in my top 24 guesses. Yeah, in 1969, he stole five bases in one season. Bob Gibson was not only an unbelievable pitcher, but he was quick, and he obviously could swing a bat. 
Look at this. In 1970, when he won a Cy Young Award as well, his OPS plus was 100, meaning that he (laughs) was absolutely average with normal, you know, position players in terms of OPS for that year. That's incredible. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, So so that's why Gibson's third that well, mostly because of his pitching. But I just thought that was cool. After that, I have to go with and I had him there before. Mr. Ken Griffey Jr. Just because I've never seen anyone that they could play like him, the the, uh, the just the raw talent, the, just how he played every game and had so much fun. You just wanted to be him. You wanted to to watch him all the time. Griffey comes up to bat, stop everything. I'm you know I'm watching TV for the next couple minutes. Ken Griffey Jr. is my number four. Okay. And my my last and certainly not least is a gentleman who played third base for the Phillies. He he did pretty well over the course of his years uh, with 548 career home runs, uh, Mr. Mike Schmidt. Yeah, you know, I I, I, I like Schmidt. I heard, a, I heard a lot about my pick of Mike Schmidt when we did this earlier. I still think he's probably there. I am a little bit predisposed to third baseman. I like third baseman. So it's going to be hard for me to not say Mike Schmidt. I've been thinking about Ken Griffey Jr. because I have I've never been a huge fan of Ken Griffey Jr. And I think it was probably because I went to school in Washington. I was not a Mariners fan and everyone there, you know, loved him. So I was I was always looking for the faults. And so I think I only remember the things that I want to remember about him. Because I was always <laughs> I, I, I was always like, ah, Ricky, I'd, I'd much rather have Ricky. When, when really they're two different players, they're they're not they're not the same mold of a ball player. So I always pick at Ken Griffey Jr. Really? Uh, yeah. So I mean, I always have a hard time listing him. Although obviously, I, I think he deserves to be in the, be up there. I mean, the other names you've got Reggie Jackson. Obviously, he's still around. Eddie Murray. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got to be up there as well. Well, Ricky's got to be part of the mix. Uh, I don't, you know, again, top five, I don't know. I mean, he's got to be part of the discussion. Yeah, he's part of the discussion. I have a hard time putting a pitcher up there. I love Bob Gibson, but, you know, I, the, the amount of time that he was so dominant was just, it was, it was a couple of years and I have a hard time putting him up there with a position player. And maybe this is my bias again, is just. Is just I like position players more than pitchers. Right. You know, Roger. And I'm I'm kind of the opposite. <laughs> I'm a big pitcher fan. Yeah, I mean, we've got the asterisks that we put by Roger Clemens, so we're gonna not include him in our list. Right. Uh, if you want to, you can go ahead. Randy Johnson was obviously spectacular. Nolan Ryan obviously was spectacular. You've got another lefty and Steve Carlton that we could uh, we could talk about. Again, I, neither of us really saw him play, so it's kind of hard to discuss him. Greg Maddox, I put up there, and I think a lot of that's because I saw so much Greg Maddox and especially so much Greg Maddox in person. Well, name, name a more dominant pitcher over the course of our lifetime. Yeah, know? yeah, and just the sheer length of his dominance. Uh, Pedro Martinez, I think, has got to be up there. I think his window of dominance wasn't quite as great as like a Greg Maddox. 
Sure. You know, we wanted to, we should probably talk about Justin Verlander, who his career now, and, and I'm not putting him in this top five list. I just wanted to bring him up as somebody whose career is probably maybe over now, you know, yeah, quite it, possibly. announced he's going to have Tommy John surgery. So that means more than likely next year, he is not going to pitch. He is 37. He's going to be 38 before the year's over. So that means he would be 40 years old, more than likely, before he threw his next pitch in baseball. Tell you what, if he can do some kind of a comeback at the age of 40 after Tommy John surgery, I'm not sure he's human. Yeah, I mean, he went 21 and six last year, led the led the majors in in wins, led the majors in uh, or at least the league in uh, in innings pitched, had 300 strikeouts. And won a Cy Young. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if he could come back, that would be incredible. But I'm not sure. I don't know. You always get that that's, that Tommy John bounce for that when yeah. you actually come back and you're healthy. But I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do it at that age. But it'll be interesting to watch. Sure. Another guy I'd like to throw in real quick. Sure. And you got you to think about it. How about Mike Trout? Yeah, you could. He's got to be part of the. He's got to be part of the conversation. I, I think, think he's there on talent. You know, obviously his numbers aren't there yet, just because he's he's played. He's right. only played for ten years. So you know, I, I think he'll be there at the end of his career, assuming he plays for another eight to ten years. He'll be there. Sure. I think he's just there on the talent. I mean, he's that guy that we get to see every day, every year. My my thoughts exactly, and and as a Mariner killer. I, I have this saying, I absolutely hate my trout, but I absolutely love my trout because he's amazing. You love to watch you know? him play. Yeah. Yeah. To see him play is, is, you know, and another thing I love about him is he's never in any trouble. The reason that when he, when he spoke up about the Astros and when he spoke up about COVID, people all paid attention yeah. because he only really opens his mouth when something's a major deal. Yeah. I mean, there were players that were waiting to decide if they were going to opt out this year based on what Mike Trout decided. Yeah. He's a fantastic player. He's seems to get better every year, which is ridiculous, but we, we may not have seen his best year yet. So I think again, I'm overusing this, but he's, he's going to be part of the conversation when we talk about it. We just went over a couple of shows ago that he's been, in the top five NBV voting every year of his career. Every year. That's incredible. All right. Yeah. So, hey, if, uh, listeners, if you want to if you want to yell at us again, when we did this last time, we heard from plenty of people. Give us your your new top five. If if it's the same, fine. Let us know. If not, if something has changed, let us know. Let's let's get a list together of some some other top fives and we'll We'll see what uh, other people think. Mark, this show is debuting on September 22nd, almost the end of the regular season already, which is weird because we've played only a month and a half. And so I, I think it's April or, or May uh, in my head. Right. But no, we're getting ready in a week and a half. We're going to have playoff baseball, believe it or not. But this show drops on September 22nd. So let's take a look at some guys that made their debuts today throughout baseball history. First... Let's go back to 1924. I'm going to give you this guy's nickname and see if you know who it is. I'll, I'll give you the hint that it's a Hall of Famer. His nickname was the Mechanical Man. Wow. Uh, I have not heard that nickname. Debuted in 24, you said? 1924 for the Detroit Tigers. I don't know why I said Detroit, but the Detroit Tigers. 
All I can think of is Max Carey. But he, no, wasn't he Pittsburgh? Max Carey was with the Bucks. You are correct. I'm just going to give okay, it to okay. you here. I'm, it's uh, Charlie Geringer. Charles Geringer. Oh, my gosh. Chucky, what I a want, great player. Chucky Geringer. Yeah, so he debuted today in 1924 for the Tigers. He's a second baseman. The reason he was called the mechanical man is because he is considered one of the best defensive second basemen in the history of the game. He would go and uh, it was just, it, it was like you, you would just expect him to make every play at second base. So they called him the mechanical man. Interesting. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1949. He was the league MVP in 1937, was a six-time All-Star, and won the World Series in 1935 versus the Chicago Cubs. He played for 19 seasons, all of which were for the Tigers. He compiled a 320 batting average and a 125 OPS+. Plus. He had some great years. Uh, he was the MVP, as I said, in 1937. He hit 371 that year. The year that really sticks out to me is 1929, where he didn't even finish in the top 20 of MVP voting. Led the league in steals, triples, doubles, hits, runs, games played, and hit for 339 average. Jeez. But couldn't even <laughs> couldn't even break the top 20 MVP voting. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. i tell you something else about Charlie Geringer. He has one of the coolest autographs you could ever see. I actually purchased one not that long ago. If you have a, one of them Google machines in front of you, Google Charlie Geringer autograph. It's a good one to put in your collection. He was a very, very highly thought of individual. Never spoke yeah. out, never caused trouble. He's kind of like the Mike Trout of his day. He was yeah. uh, very well respected, very quiet kept to himself i read one quote about one of his teammates that said he'd say hello to you as he came in for spring training and then the next thing that he would say to you was uh, you know see you next year as he left after the season just kept to himself <laughs> and, <professional>. yeah <laughs> so there is uh, charlie Geringer made his debut today next we go to 1946 and another hall of famer yogi berra made his debut for the New York Yankees. I remember we did half a show on Yogi Berra quotes. Yeah, yeah we did. We actually, wasn't it just on quotes, but we ended up mainly just going with Yogi Berra quotes. <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say he's the most quoted baseball player of all time. <laughs> I, oh, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. So Yogi was inducted into the hall of fame in 1972. He's a three time MVP, an 18-time All-Star, and won 10 World Series as a player, which is the most in Major League history. Also, yeah, Mark, wow. you, as you are well aware, left-handed hitting catcher. Which yep, gotta love it. We love those. 19 years he played in the big leagues, 18 of which were with the Yankees. Of course, we've mentioned this. One very weird short season with the Mets where he only appeared in four games. But because of those four games, he has the most hits in the history of guys <laughs> that played on both New York teams. That's right. Yes. Yogi also served in the United States Navy as a gunner's mate in the Normandy landing during World War II. He earned a Purple Heart, a, a true, I mean, he was just such an incredible human being. I, I remember he was very proud, as he should have been, with his military service and he was not one of those guys that was just 
you know, stationed somewhere in the States and playing on the bases baseball team. He was actually seeing combat, which is uh, incredible. Several of his quotes, as you, as you mentioned, it ain't over till it's over. That's one of those quotes that everybody knows, whether they know it's from Yogi Berra, a baseball player or not, everybody knows that one. So true. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Now he's trying to give directions to his house, to one of his teammates. Another one, it's deja vu all over again. That's probably another one that most people know, might not all know. Yeah. Everybody knows it's from Yogi. One more that I, that I love, uh, he said, always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't go to yours. Sound <laughs> advice. <laughs> if, if I may throw one in my personal favorite, he sure. once told a reporter, there isn't no way we ain't not going to win this. <laughs> you figure it out. So many, so many more. Um, <laughs> one really weird thing, though, is we're celebrating that this was his debut today. He debuted uh, today in 1946. He also passed away today in 2015. So oh, wow. he, he passed away on the uh, anniversary of his major league debut. So it's been five years, unfortunately, since we lost Yogi Berra couple of other debuts. We don't need to go into in depth on these, but two guys made their debuts today in 1978. One is a guy that I will mention whenever I see him. Dave Stewart. Smoke made his debut today. And the other is Pedro Guerrero made his debut on this day in 1978. And when I saw Pedro Guerrero's name, I went and looked up the, the thing I remember about Pedro Guerrero is the fight that he got into with David Cohn when oh, yeah. Cohn threw, it was up and in, but it was really nowhere that close to hitting him. But Pedro just dove out of the way and like it was like he got shot. And then the next pitch he swung at and missed and tried to throw his bat towards the mound. <laughs> and then the yep. bench is emptied and Pedro, oh boy, he was steaming mad. Just, uh, yeah. Not happy. <laughs> I remember Pedro Guerrero during the uh, the Dodgers World Series against, or I'm sorry, the Dodgers NLCS against the Cardinals. I remember how angry he got when Tom Needenshuer allowed, you know, his home runs. You, you know, normally you just see a stoic outfielder standing there going, ah, but no, not Pedro. He ah, throws his mitt down on the ground, stomps off. You know, he was a very emotional player. <laughs> Wore his heart on his sleeve. Another anniversary today, and I believe you were at this game. Nolan Ryan made his final start of his career today in Seattle. I was at that game, yep. I'll never forget it. It wasn't the exact uh, game I wanted to see, but um, it was good to be there for his last game. I never had expected it, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, tough way to end your career. I, I guess I never really realized that it was probably would have been his last start of the season anyway. Who knows if he would have come back the next year or not. Sure. Another, yeah. uh, and then Dan Howitt took him deep. <laughs> Dan remember Howitt. that. <laughs> Oakland A's legend, Dan Howitt. Yes, the Howitzer. All right, let's jump to our trivia question I asked you last week. We actually got a couple of our listeners responded with answers to this, some of which were right, some of which were not. This was, uh, and I realized I got to step up my trivia game. I, I need to make these a little bit harder. My question to you last week was, who is the last switch hitter to win the MVP award for either league? That's right. And I said it was Frank Robinson. And you said that's a good guess, but he doesn't hit switch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I do have a guess. I do okay. have a guess. Was it Ken Caminiti? So Ken Caminiti won in 1996. 
And uh, okay. he, of course, was a switch hitter. But the answer is actually Larry Wayne Chipper Jones in 1999. Sure, that makes sense. Three years later. Now, the reason I came up with this question is I saw a, a, a question asking about switch hitting MVPs. So you've got Chipper Jones. You've got Ken Caminiti. Pete Rose won MVP. Mickey Mantle, of course, won MVP. Sure. I'm guessing there are a couple more in there. But the one that really piqued my interest, that if I ask you, I guess maybe I should have asked you, name me all of the, the switch hitting MVPs, because there would have been one I'd be willing to bet that everybody would have missed. And that was Mr. Vita Blue. Oh, wow. Pitcher for the Oakland Athletics, who won both the Cy Young and the MVP in 1971 and is listed as a switch hitter. Yeah, I wouldn't have got that one, man. <laughs> I don't think many people would have. Switch hitting pitcher. Interesting bit of useless information, though. I, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Was Pat Venditti, did, what, did he, what is he listed as a, a batter? Let's see. Bats left throws both. So that's, <laughs> that's a rarity. <laughs> the opposite of what you normally see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I got a new trivia question for you. Like I said, I'm going to step up my game. I think that one was too easy. We got too many people answering that one, except for you, of All course. Right. But I won't rub that in. Sure. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Name me the only state in the union. That makes me sound like I'm old timey. Name me the only state in the United States where there has been only a single instance of a regular season Major League Baseball inside the park home run recorded. You're going to have to go over that one again, man. Okay. There's 50 states in the United States, right? I Hold on. Yes. <laughs> okay. First, narrow that down to the states in which a regular season Major League game has been played. Okay. okay. Now, within those states... One of them has only seen a single inside the park home run out of all okay. of the games played in that state. Which state is it? Wow. Well, we can rule out the states that have two teams or more in California's uh, sake. Yeah, I, wow, I think it's I think point. it's fair to say you can rule out California, <laughs> probably New York. I think you can rule that out. And Texas. Illinois, Texas, more than likely. Yeah, I'm not going to give anything away. Regular season inside the park home run. So that eliminates things like when the teams used to go and play their, you know, like for in spring training and play their AAA team. Sure. Okay. Am I supposed to guess? Sure. Give me a guess. Colorado. All right. There's a guess. That's my guess. That is a very large ballpark. A lot of room for that ball to kick around out there in the outfield, though. Yes. But uh, we will uh, we will check that out next week. Give it some thought. And I might throw this out there. It could be the answer could not be. Remember, the A's played a home stand or two in Las Vegas one year when they were building Mount Davis before the stadium was ready. OK, maybe maybe think of things like that. I see. OK, that All makes right. sense. All right. So. Everybody put on your thinking caps, see what you can come up with. If you want to send us a, send us a message about what you think the answer is, hey, we're open to it. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but we're open. Mark, I feel completely warmed up, mainly because it is now really warm here in the Bay Area again, so I didn't need a whole lot to limber up. Are you ready to, to uh, get into the main gist of our show today? 
Well, not just quite yet, Mr. No, Jeff. No. no. We have a kangaroo court. Well. And it is from your mortal enemy, our friend Marshall, <laughs> who seems to catch everything. Apparently, sir. Yes. You were uh, or what he thinks is a finable offense. You were talking about Dan Quisenberry. Okay. And you said, you made a comment that it was a really high total to have 553 saves in a 12-year career. Well, the 553 is actually games finished. The number of saves was 244. Why would I have ever, if I did say that, which I'm sure I did, I am going to find myself $2 because that is ridiculous. Well, actually, Marshall's suggestion is $2.76. Matching the lifetime earn run average of Dan Quisenberry. <laughs> that is absolutely, that is why we have this kangaroo court. And that is absolutely okay. correct. I can see here the games finished column uh, absolutely says 553. And the uh, SV column says 244. That is. There you go, man. Absolutely correct. That is. Thank you, Marshall. <laughs> we will uh, erect a, a, a plaque in the kangaroo courtroom with that because that was a good catch and a ridiculous i i could say that i do like to throw those out there just to see if anybody's listening but no that was just me doing too many things while we're recording this. what you're telling the truth during kangaroo court what's going on here <laughs> all right do you have anything else that i've been caught in a bold-faced life oh nothing to do with baseball sir no okay <laughs> All right. Well, then uh, the grounds crew is just wrapping up their stuff. They've moved the cage into center field where it's going to sit for the remainder of the game. All of Forbes field. It's in play. It's a deep center field, though, so probably don't need to worry about it too much. Mark, I've got a great story. I had so much fun a couple of weeks ago talking about Joe Bauman that I have a another story that's kind of the same. But instead of home runs, it's about strikeouts. Have oh, nice. You, have you ever heard of uh, of Steve Dalkowski? Steve Dalkowski? Dalkowski. Oh, because I knew a Steve Dalkowski. No, this is, no, I have again, not again this one. is probably not somebody that you are intimately like friends with or went to school with. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Steve, he was in my homeroom. Yeah. You know, I, I have not heard of that individual. All right. Well, most baseball fans are probably familiar with the legend of Sid Finch. He was the fictitious fireball pitcher for the New York Mets that was part of an elaborate Sports Illustrated April Fool's Day joke in 1985, penned by the legendary author George Plimpton. Likewise, fans are probably pretty familiar with Nuke Lelouch, the equally talented but essentially rudderless pitcher from the film Bull Durham. It's a pretty popular baseball trope, the, the pitcher with the fastball, that can smack in the catcher's glove before the batter even sees it with some combination of a quirky personality that never allows them to reach the greatness that they seem destined for. Well, that's where Steve Dalkowski comes in. Much like my story from a couple of weeks ago about Joe Bauman, Steve Dalkowski never pitched a game in the big leagues. Also, much like Dalman, Dalkowski's feats are still talked about today on some of this planet's most popular baseball history podcasts, like this one, possibly the most popular. Possibly. Possibly. We're, we're, the numbers are still a little sketchy. Uh, Dalkowski <laughs> was a multi-sport star in New Breton, Connecticut in the 1950s. He was a star quarterback for the football team, but baseball was where he really excelled, specifically on the mound. 
His live arm enabled him to blow pitches by batters. Dalkowski, or Dalko as he was known, was only 5'11", 175 pounds, and he wore some thick Coke bottle glasses because he had really bad eyesight. So despite maybe not looking like the most athletic guy, Dalko could throw that speedball by you and make you look like a fool. Tip of the hat to the boss there. He threw it so hard, in fact, that his catcher had to buy a raw steak before each game, and he would put it inside his mitt for extra padding. Come on. I don't know. This is I have read this in many places. I don't know who who actually thought, hey, instead of putting something soft in there, put a steak in there. You can really feel the ball when that happens, right? You know, it tenderizes it, yeah. I guess. <laughs> so apparently after an inning or two, the liquid from the now well-tenderized steak would start to drip down the catcher's hand and arm, looking like blood. So this guy is up there on the mound with these thick glasses, throwing absolute smoke, and the catcher's mitt is dripping what looks like blood. Does not really sound like something you want to, you know, step into the box against. No, thank you. No. So Delco started his senior season with back-to-back no-hitters, striking out 24 in one of those contests. He was drafted by the Orioles and in 1957 was sent to Class D Kingsport of the Appalachian League. It was an interesting season, to say the least. In 62 innings, he gave up only 22 hits. That's the great news. Wow. <laughs> the other news is he finished with a 1-8 record and an 8.13 earned run average. Now, he did strike out 121 batters in those 62 innings. But he also walked 129 and uncorked 39 wild pitches. Wow. Okay, so I get what his problem might have been. (laughs) That equated to a 2.435 whip. That is, that's high. (laughs) In one game, Delkowski tossed a 24 strikeout no hitter. But he walked 18 and lost the game 8-4. to four. Oh, my gosh. He also earned the nickname White Lightning, which is pretty cool. The Orioles knew they had a guy with one of the livest arms anybody had ever seen, but could they figure out how to get him to throw it consistently in the strike zone? Well, they tried just about everything. Different coaches, thicker glasses. They had him throw 100 pitches before a start one time hoping that he might have a little bit better control when he was fatigued. Well, if any of those things had worked, you probably would have heard a lot more about Steve Dalkowski by now. So, no control, but a rocket arm. So fast, in fact, that the Orioles sent him to the Aberdeen Proving Grounds to try and get a measure of how fast he was throwing. This is in the late 1950s. Radar guns don't exist at this point. There were some unique methods, though, to try to measure how fast a pitcher could throw. I saw a film clip with Bob Feller where they had a motorcycle that would get going to different speeds, like 80, 90, 100 miles per hour, right as they passed him. And right as they passed him, Feller would throw a pitch and they would see which could cover the 60 feet, six inches first, the baseball or the motorcycle. And they would try to determine, you know, how fast he could throw by doing that. Funny, funny side note real quick. Uh, Bob Gibson, and this is a true story, actually told me that story himself. Wow. So it, I, I, I'm not Bob Gibson. I'm sorry, Bob Feller. I've got Gibson on the brain. But I, I had the opportunity to meet and hang out with him a little bit. And he told me, you know how they used to try and measure how fast I threw? And I'm like, no. 
And that's exactly the story you told me. Yeah, I'll try to I'll try to remember to throw a link in the show notes because you can find that on YouTube. It's it's hilarious. That, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah. also, that's it's telling you that's telling you the kind of precision measurement we're talking about when, you know, there was no cruise control, obviously, at this point either. So that motorcycle keeping a constant speed is kind of hard. And, and then to see who gets there first, the ball or the motorcycle, it's a little little right. iffy to do this, though. The, the method that they tried at the proving grounds is that Steve had to throw a ball through a small frame to be measured. Well, first of all, it took him 150 pitches the night before to finish off the ball game. So he's probably, his arm's probably a little tired. He was also throwing from flat ground as they, believe it or not, didn't have a pitcher's mound on a military proving ground. And then it only took 40 <laughs> minutes for Steve to actually get a pitch through this frame so that it could be measured. It was all luck right there, man. Yeah. <laughs> he probably closed his eyes on the one that actually got through there. Even yeah. with all that, though, his release velocity was still measured at 99 miles per hour. <laughs> so Dude, gracious. Yeah. I mean, just off the charts. The next season, Dalco battled wildness the entire year. He struck out 203 while walking 207. So he's still walking more than he strikes out. Dalkowski was also a well-known drinker. He did two things very well. He threw the ball hard and he could drink like a fish. His, uh, gotcha. He has a quote attributed to him. He said, I never drank the day of a game, but before or after it was a different story. It seemed like I always had to close the bar, which is a telling quote when, <laughs> he, when he felt like he had to close the bar, but that's what he did. <laughs> yeah, good point. 1959, Dalco played under player manager Earl Weaver. I don't know if you've heard of Earl Weaver. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Everyone's heard of or seen oh, Earl yes. Weaver or heard, I guess, heard Earl Weaver even more than heard of. Uh, but he played yeah. for Earl in Aberdeen. Weaver became a bit of a father like figure to Dalco, and he tried to curb the drinking, simplified the game plan for when Steve was on the mound and it appeared to be working. In that season, Dalco threw a no-hitter in which he struck out 21 and only walked eight. Wow. He threw nothing but fastballs the entire game, but still was able to throw a no-hitter. He did throw one lone breaking ball, which almost hit a batter, and after that it was just, give me the number one every time. <laughs> it wasn't worth trying again. <laughs> uh, but that was the highlight, really. He, uh, he walked 12 in a two-inning appearance one game. It's saying something. Uh, one game with Cal Ripken Sr. catching for him, Dalco got crossed up and threw a fastball when Ripken was expecting a breaking ball. Ripken missed the ball completely, and it struck umpire Doug Harvey's mask squarely, breaking it into three pieces and knocking him <laughs> unconscious. That's just just showing you just how hard he threw this. And Ripken Sr., I saw some some quotes and some stories where, you know, he caught a lot of guys that threw hard, and he said nobody even came close to throwing as hard as Delkowski did. Wow. 1960, Dalco did something I'm pretty sure will never be matched. Pitching for the Stockton Ports, which are, who are still around, A's minor league team. Shout out to the 209. Ooh. In 170 innings, he struck out 262 batters, which <laughs> would have been awesome. He also walked 262 batters. <laughs> hey, he was an equal opportunity pitcher, I guess. He was he was kind of like a, a two true outcome pitcher. 
I'm either going to walk you or I'm going to strike you out. One of the two. He continued wow. to work with Weaver, though, and he started to see some improvement. By 1962, for the first time in his career, he finished with a sizable gap between the strikeouts and walk totals at the end of the year. In fact, over the last 57 innings of the season, he allowed just one earned run and struck out 110 while walking only 21. He also had a 37-inning scoreless streak during that stretch. Wow. Spring training one year, and, and I have to say one year because I could not pin down the year that this supposedly happened. Ted Williams was watching him throw during a spring training game, and he asked to step in against him, which is weird because he was never teammates with him. But I guess if you're the splendid splinter and you're watching someone throw during spring training from the other team, you can say, hey, let me step in. And they're going to be like, yeah, sure, Ted. So Dalco wound up through the first pitch. Williams didn't move. He turns around and the catcher is holding the ball just inches from the splendid splinter's chin. (laughs) Never saw it. Dalkowski... (laughs) was not wearing his glasses on the mound that day. (laughs) Oh, my God. The splinter supposedly dropped his bat and just walked away after that one pitch. Williams said he never saw the pitch. He just heard it and then turned around and saw where it was caught. He claimed Dalco was the fastest pitcher he'd ever faced, and he would do anything within his power to never step in the box against him ever again. A smart man. Smart man. <laughs> oh, could you imagine seeing him just squinting in out there because he doesn't have his glasses <laughs> in? Like, oh. I, there's no way. If I had been playing, I would have gone up there. I would have gone ahead and, you know, took the bat with me, even though I'm not going to use it. And I'd have just stood there in a defensive position until he walked me or struck <laughs> me out. <laughs> Well, this improvement earned him some time in the big league camp during uh, spring training one year. He struck out 11 in just under eight innings, and he was told he was going to break camp with the big league Orioles. Dream fulfilled, right? Well, at least until later that day. He took the mound against the Yankees in a spring training game, threw a pitch, and lost feeling in his pitching arm. It was a pinched nerve that he'd been trying to pitch through, and it finally got to him. He pitched very little the rest of the season, trying to get healthy, but baseball, as we know, is very fickle, and he was shuttled around the minors trying to again find that magic that he had so briefly possessed, but it was too well hidden, and he, he just couldn't ever find it again. Wow. The next year, Dalkowski struck out 27, walked 16, and threw an astonishing 283 pitches in a game. <laughs> wow. His arm was somehow still attached to his body after that. 1964, Dalkowski was pulled from a game after throwing 120 pitches. It was still the second inning. So you can see, I mean, again, he just, he had that control for that brief moment. And then it's just, it's absolutely gone. His drinking continued to be a problem. He was traded. He was released. He was cut. He was sent to Mexico and just never had it ever again. After finally being released and and not being picked up, he wandered from part-time job to part-time job in Central California, making just enough money to buy cheap booze to help him forget. His family eventually helped him move to an assisted living home back in New Britain in the 1990s, where he suffered from alcohol-related dementia and was given less than a year to live. He sobered up and lived for another 26 years, completely sober. Who is this guy? Yeah. (laughs) That's incredible. Delco, however, died earlier this year on April 19th when COVID-19 spread through the nursing home that he had been living at for those past 26 years. 
Steve Dalkowski never made it to the Hall of Fame or even the big leagues, but he was enshrined in the Shrine of the Immortals in 2009. And after straightening his life, he enjoyed going to New Britain Rock Cats games. He often threw out the first pitch there, and he even did so at an Orioles game at Camden Yard. He remembered very little of his pitching career, but he loved when people remembered him. Dalkowski was 80 years old when he passed away. Now, I mentioned Nuke Lelouch at the beginning of this story, and that was not by accident. Ron Shelton, who wrote Bull Durham, is a former minor league infielder who played in the Orioles system. Shelton took some of the stories that he had heard from his playing days in the Orioles organization about Dalkowski and incorporated them into the Lelouch character who was played by Tim Robbins. Brendan Fraser's character in the movie The Scout is also said to be loosely based on some of Steve Dalkowski's uh, adventures. Now, I think I've seen The Scout once and I don't remember a thing about it except for that he was Frazier was on on the Yankees or had something to do with the Yankees. That's all I remember. So I, I don't know how much he had to do with with that story. But uh, that is Steve Dalkowski, somebody I had never heard of until I came across his name, did some research and said, I got to I got to talk about him. He and Joe Bauman, I mean, just two incredible minor leaguers that never got to fulfill that dream. I mean, Dalkowski was told, OK, you're breaking camp with the big league squad and then there goes his arm and there goes his control. Just really too bad. Man, that, that is too bad because what a, what an impressive uh, array of stories that follow him around. Yeah, just those things that legends are made out of. All right, so Mark, it is now time where we're going to head into our final segment of the show. It is the okay. segment that we like to call, and so we do, Wax Pack Heroes. Gotta pull the Wax Pack Heroes! Mark, we have got a couple of packs here that were, again, donated to us uh, because people apparently really like giving us cards that they have hopefully not gone through and taken all of the good cards out of. But uh, this week, again, uh, our buddy Mitch has uh, donated cards again to us. This week, it is a couple of packs of 1990 Fleers. So I think last time we did 90 Fleers, we had pretty good luck. I am going to give you the option of choosing either the left or the right pack. Okay, I'm going back to the right this time. You're going back to the right. Okay, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, Before we open these packs, let's review the rules. First, we are using a Beckett Baseball Card Monthly from May 1992 in order to give these cards some value. We've got some other additional rules beyond just valuing them out here via the Becketts. If you are sporting a mustache, you are going to get an extra cent. If you are sporting an extra sweet Tom Selleck-esque mustache, you're going to get an extra cent on top of that, meaning two cents. If you are sporting glasses of any sort, especially those science teacher glasses that guys love to wear, you're going to get an extra cent. Also, if you're wearing flip downs, sunglasses, anything like that, that that all counts. If you are wearing real stirrups, you're going to get an extra cent because we love real stirrups. If you're wearing two in ones, we will make fun of you. We will take away a cent as well. If you are wearing real stirrups, but you are wearing high top shoes and we can see those stirrups, we're going to take away a cent because that's not a good look. You got to pull those pants all the way down in that case. If you are wearing high top shoes and two in ones and you don't have your pants pulled all the way down, that's minus two cents because that is just an awful look. And we're going to write your mom and tell her that we do not like that look. And finally, it's if incredibly you're incredibly sinful, it's really bad. 
I mean, uh, Bill, that Bill Buckner card that we had a couple weeks ago, that is the epitome. If he didn't have a two-cent mustache, though, to offset it, it would have been disaster. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, it would have. Our final rule is if you're in the Hall of Fame, you get an extra five cents. So, Mark, you have won two in a row. We just started our second season three weeks ago. You're currently up two to one. Let's go ahead and let's open this pack of 1990 Fleer and see what we're working with. You've got a big card, a uh, big sticker card here uh, for the L.A. Dodgers. So congratulations there. Sweet. This pack doesn't have a whole lot of big money cards. I hate to tell you. Uh, I think the uh, there's a George Brett error card that's worth 75 cents and a Cal Ripken error card that's worth $1.50. Those are your two big money cards. So All right. So we're playing a pitcher's duel today. All right. First, all right. Uh, first card is not a Hall of Famer. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> but it okay. is an uh, outfielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's Barry Bonds. <laughs> yeah, I, he, he uh, used to be very popular among collectors. Yeah, so uh, let's take a look. This card's got to be worth something. Um, and it is. It's worth five cents. Of course, Barry Bonds always had a mustache, too. So, oh, I forgot to always. mention that uh, if you're wearing a sweatband with your, your, your likeness or your jersey number on it, you get an extra cent. I say that because Barry Bonds always had one of those on, right? Well, he does it yep. in this picture. So, oh, of course. This is, it's a good card, though. It's going to get you six cents right off the bat. So, congratulations. That works. Next, we have got outfielder for the Minnesota Twins. Here he is in uh, spring training. It is Randy Bush. Randy Bird in the Hand Bush. Okay, that one that one seems like a bit of a stretch, but Randy. Uh, it's not. I didn't make it up. <laughs> uh, wow, Randy Bush actually played twelve years in the big leagues. He played and all of them from Minnesota. He was like, he was a fourth outfielder kind of guy, I believe. Uh, yeah, he played. You know, there are a couple of seasons. He played over a hundred games in more than half of his uh, more than half of his years, though. So he got a good bit of playing time. Okay, next you do have a Hall of Famer here. This is a good one. It's an yeah. all-star card, though, so not sure if that's going to be worth a whole lot. But it is one Mr. Ryan Sandberg. Oh, the great Rhino. Second baseman extraordinaire for the Chicago Cubbies. Gotta love him. Yeah, now, I think we had this problem last time. These all-star cards are not listed in Beckett's. The Sandberg's got to be worth at least 12 bucks. <laughs> Well, it could be, but since uh, it's not listed at Beckett's, you're going to get the five cents for the Hall of Fame, and he's wearing some nice real stirrups in here, so that'll get you six cents. Uh, so nice. It's, you've had two good cards to, to bring you up to 12 cents. Next, we've got pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. Hmm. I, I have not heard of this guy. You would think in the 90s, for the Braves pitching staff, you would have heard of these guys. Jose Alvarez. Jose Alvarez. You know, I can tell you it sounds familiar, but I'm... I am drawing a blank on any specifics. Yeah, so ho, let's see. Jose Alvarez, I'm not sure if he ever appeared in the big leagues. He didn't. They're, the only Jose Alvarez mm -hmm. to ever appear in the big leagues uh, debuted in 2013. So uh, that is a card of a guy that has got a baseball card but never played in the big leagues. Let me look on the back here. Well, you know what? That's wrong because uh, he's got some stats in here for the Braves. But uh, Baseball Reference does not have a Jose Alvarez. Interesting. Oh. All right. Next, we will go on. You've got a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It is Jeff Robinson. Jeff Robinson, we've, I believe we've drawn him before. Every week. Uh, yeah, good pitcher. You know, not uh, super well-known, but uh, starter for Pittsburgh for quite a while, I believe. Yeah, he came up with the Giants a couple, like six years there and then went on to pitch quite a bit for the Pirates. 
No value from Beckett, but he's got some nice real stirrups there, so you've got 13 cents. Oh, boy. Next, we've got picture for the Mariners. This uh, picture was taken at uh, Old Comiskey Park, I can tell, in the background. And uh, Eric Hansen, one of the Hansen brothers. Uh, <laughs> you know what? He was a better pitcher than, than most people would give him credit for or remember. Uh, he definitely had his moments. I always liked him. So this Eric Hansen card is somehow worth two cents in Beckett's, which is kind of yes. shocking. <laughs> uh, Eric Hansen played 11 years, finished with an 89 and 84 mark and hmm. uh, a 1.35 whip. Uh, but that'll get you two cents, so you're up to 15 cents. Next, we have got uh, Joe McGrain Headache from the oh, St. Yeah. Louis Cardinals. Joel McGrain, man. I, I remember, because we didn't have National League up here, I remember knowing about him and reading some of his box scores, but I couldn't tell you a lot about him. Well, he pitched for eight years, spent most of his career with the St. Louis Cardinals, won an ERA title in 1988 with a 2.18, finished fourth oh. in the Cy Young balloting in 1989 with a 2.91 wow. ERA. Wow. Yeah. Not uh, not bad. Uh, no value in Beckett, though. Uh, he does have real stirrups, though. So uh, you're going to get one one cent there. Maybe in the future we'll give uh, we'll give a cent for some good lettuce hanging out of the back of your hat because he's got some good hair, good flow. <laughs> but uh, we're just going to give you the one cent there. That brings you up to 16. Here's a guy we've talked about many times before, outfielder for the Boston Red Sox, Ellis Burks. Ellis Burks, uh, underrated as far as I'm concerned. Good defense, had a little bit of power. Hit for a decent average. I remember kind of collecting Ellis Burks, but my friend Jason would always take him in trades, so sometimes I had to give up a few. If I ask you how many years Ellis Burks played in the big leagues, what would your answer be? I would guess 10. 18 seasons in the big leagues. I don't remember him for 18 seasons. Yeah, so he played wow, in Boston for seven, Colorado for five. Now, you know what? I, I remember him. He played in San Francisco for three and Cleveland for three. I remember him in those uniforms. I would have never, I would have said one year in both. And then he played a year for the White Sox, apparently. Huh. apparently and that was in 93, he played a year for the White Sox. So from Boston to Chicago and then on to Colorado. No value from Beckett. He does have a mustache, though. Just a one center, though. Or no, I'm sorry. Yes. Beckett has, uh, has two cents value. Sorry, I was looking looking at the wrong card. So that's a three cent card for you. That'll bring you up to 19 cents. Next, we have got, I, this guy's got, uh, always had great hair. Curly, curly hair. It is Yvonne Calderon. Yvonne bubbling Calderon. He could hit <laughs> too, man. He had some pop. So Yvonne Calderon, no value in Beckett. That's a shame. Let's see what kind of numbers Yvonne had in the power department. He played for 10 years. Uh, one year, he had 28 home runs in 1987. That was clearly his best year. Never finished sure. above 20, but he did have double digits in four other seasons. Did lead the league in grounding into double plays in 1990. So, Congrats. Yeah, he's got that going for him, I guess. He was uh, traded by the White Sox to the Expos for Hall of Famer Tim Raines. Huh. And uh, he was drafted by the Seattle Mariners. That's some trivia. Uh, no value from Beckett's, but he's got real stirrups and he's got a mustache. So that'll bring you yes, up to 21 did. cents. Next, Herm Winningham, outfielder for the Cincinnati Reds. Totally remember that name, but wasn't he like a prospect? For I, I don't remember much more than that. Well, Herm Winningham played for, looks like eight or nine years. Nine years. Never really had, I mean, a career 239 average. He had a good first year with the Mets. He only had 
played in 14 games, but he hit 407. Uh, after that, went to Montreal and then Cincinnati. But yeah, not much. Not much going on. Never really had a, had a big year. He was traded for Gary Carter along with some other guys uh, in 84. So had some value at some point to be traded for Gary Carter. Uh, no value from Beckett. He does have real stirrups, though. So that'll get you a cent. You're up to 22 cents. Next, uh, well, it wouldn't be wouldn't be a Wax Pack Hero segment without a Expos pitcher. It's Zane Smith. Zane Smith, who I mostly remember with the Bravos, back when they didn't have a, a whole lot. We're talking back in the, the real difficult days. That Zane Smith was really the only guy that they talked about besides Dale Murphy. He would get out there and be like, "Oh, it's Zane Smith, a, a you know a god to us. You know, he was a good left-handed starter, but he was really all they had to talk about in the, in the pitcher side." Well, he did go 15 and 10 for the Braves in 87. Beyond that, never came anywhere close to 500 on those teams. But those were some, as you said, some really bad Braves teams until you get into the, into the early 90s. No value. He does have a mustache. Wait, I, I misspoke. He usually has a mustache. I thought it was just a light one, but no, no mustache. No, no points for you. You're still at 22. Burn it. Next, we have got uh, Seattle Mariners pitcher. Again, they, they grabbed all these Mariners while they were at Comiskey Park. It is uh, right-hander Scott Bankhead. Scott Bankhead, I remember, I don't remember anything too astonishing about him. Let's see, did he have uh, he had a pretty decent career lengthwise? He pitched for mm, 10 years as a right-hander, most of it with Seattle. Finished with a 57-48 yeah. and 48 record, so stick around. Yeah, tolerable. Uh, you get one set there for the mustache. That'll get you up to 23 Oh, Caveman is your next guy. Remember Caveman? Caveman, the uh, cartoon one? Uh, not not Captain Caveman. This is just uh, oh. a private caveman for the uh, San Francisco Giants. Yes. Uh, oh, man. You'll kick Who yourself when I, when I say Don Robinson. Don Robinson. Yep, you're right. I just kicked myself and I normally can't reach. Yeah, so he looks like uh, this picture. I mean, he was called Caveman. He was always had long hair. He was always a large gentleman. Uh, we're not going to body yeah. shame anybody here, but he think of Bartolo Colon at the end of his career. That's kind of the body type we're, we're looking at here. No value from Beckett. He does have some real stirrups on, though. So that'll get you uh, that'll get you 24 cents or up to okay. 24 cents. Now, I remember Don yeah. Robinson actually pitched for quite a while. Let me let's see. Yeah, what, he did. Uh, 1978 through 1992. So that's a good career. Yeah. 15 years, 109 and 106. That's impressive. He was, uh, I, let's see, was he on those We Are Family Pittsburgh teams? He came up, yeah, 1979, won a World Series with the, with the Buccos. I remember him, just not super well. Nickname Caveman. All right, uh, you've got three cards left. You're at 24 cents, not, uh, not your best pack. Next, we've got first baseman for the Detroit Tigers. It is Dave Bergman. Bergman. Couldn't tell you a lot about Dave Bergman. Uh, well, Beckett's going to give him nothing. Uh, he's got a nice mustache. It's not Tom Selleck-esque, but it's a good one to get you at least a cent. Dave Bergman actually played, boy, he had quite a long career as well, 17 years. Yeah, I remember him, but I don't remember anything specifically about him. It's just kind of like the way women remember me. Yeah, I remember him, but I don't remember anything Well, they remember they don't want anything to do with you generally, but... Generally, yeah. Well, actually, pretty much always. So this is where, you know, he was a first baseman for most of his career, 54 lifetime home runs in 17 years so not your prototypical big bat at first base and a you know a no. career average of 258 so not I, I don't i don't see any gold gloves or anything here either but 
He did win a World Series in 84 with the Tigers, beating the Padres. So uh, you'll get one yeah. cent, like I said, for the mustache. That brings you up to 25. Next, we've got pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. It is Mike Morgan. Yep, I remember Mike Morgan. Did he spend some time with the A's? I don't remember him. I remember him mainly with the Cubs is who I remember Mike Morgan with. Let's see if he ever donned the green and gold. I don't think he well, did. Well, if you haven't heard of him, I think my, my guess is well, wrong. Well, no, Mike Morgan came up with the A's in 78 and okay. 79, where he went 2 okay. and 13. But despite that, he then went on to a 22-year career. It's funny that I remember him with the A's. Yeah, that, was, that is very strange. Really <laughs> he was on that uh, 2001 Arizona Diamondbacks team, so he did win a World Series with them. Oh, wow, yeah. But that's a, that's a good career, 22 years. Uh, you will get nothing there. No stirrups that I can see, no mustache, no nothing. And uh, your final card is another third baseman. This from the Baltimore Orioles. It is Craig Worthington. Not Cal Craig Worthington. Worthington. Not Cal Worthington, but not Craig his, Worthington. Not his dodge spot either. No. I don't think everybody's going to get that reference. We, we've talked about that before. Yeah, and especially if you're from here on the West Coast, you'll know who that is. But Yeah, you know who Cal Worthington is. Uh, no value in any way from that card. So that will bring your grand total to 25 cents eminently beatable score yeah I, I may be in some trouble yeah i mean I admit it. your best card was rhino yeah rhino and then and barry bonds those were your your only two cards of note but, started uh, strong yeah you really did two of your first three cards were rhino and barry bonds all right here comes my pack let's see if i can even the score at two a piece uh, i've got a old school braves uh card so i don't like that logo Sweet. Yeah, that's not a good logo. Let's let's step it up there and be a little more socially conscious. Uh, well, I'm starting off with the Hall of Famer, so this could be good. It is one of at least two Hall of Famers who had the nickname Kid. So it's either Gary Carter or Ken Griffey Jr., and I think it would be a more valuable card if it was Ken Griffey Jr. But, that's what you're hoping for. Uh, well, it's no, it's Gary Carter, but I, I guess Say Hey Kid is Willie Mays, so that's who I was. Well, that's true, too. That's the other guy I was thinking of, so yeah, I've, Griffey's definitely kid as well uh gary carter here with the mets no value from beckett and uh nothing from this picture so i'm just gonna get five cents but you know i'll take it that's a pretty strong start and everyone loves gary carter next we've got a knuckleballer who is not in the hall of fame though if he was if there was a knuckleball hall of fame he he would be there (laughs) here he is with the cleveland team now tom candiotti has been uh immortalized in moneyball he also, I believe, boy, I don't remember where he was. He also pitched in a baseball movie, but it's, it's Tom Candiotti, if I didn't say it already. It's uh, Tom Cotton Candiotti. Oh, very nice. No, uh, no actual value uh, from, from Beckett's, except for I am uh, ashamed to say that he's wearing two-in-one stirrups, so that's going to be a minus Ooh. one cent. And yes, his nickname is listed as Cotton. Yeah, there you go. Led the league in losses twice during his career. He pitched for 16 years. Yeah, it was a knuckleballer. That's, <laughs> but he never led the league in wild pitches. So, huh. good for him. So I am uh, I'm going to have to minus one cent for me. So that doesn't help. Cotton. Next, oh boy, one of your guys. We've got pitcher. Here he is with the Cincinnati Reds. He will go on to win a World Series this year against my Oakland Athletics. It is Jose Rijo. Oh, yeah. One of my, one of my boys from uh, back in the day. Got to love him. Yeah, no value there. Can't see stirrups. Can't see. He used to have a mustache, but it doesn't look like he does there. Huh. Wow, this should be a Hall of Famer. We we should be giving me a Hall of Fame bonus on this, but we're not. 
It is a player of the decade card. It is Dale Murphy. Oh, yeah. Well, he, man, I'll tell you what, he definitely was one of the great players of the decade. Yeah, this is a good looking card. He's he's in the cage here taking some BP and he's kind of flexing his muscle. It's a good looking card. Dale Murphy never had a mustache. I can't see his stirrups and he's not in the Hall of Fame, unfortunately. But Beckett's has his card listed at two cents. So that'll get me up to six cents. Another guy, this is another guy that it wouldn't be an episode of Wax Packs Heroes without pulling a Chris Spire card here with the Giants. We know <laughs> yeah, that we do always pull him. Yeah, and we know that he had a super, super long career that we marvel at each time because we, we it's hard to imagine that he played for so long, but he did. He played for 137 years. Yes, in fact, he's, he's still playing somewhere. Uh, but he does have a nice mustache, <laughs> so he's going to get me one cent there. Next pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, it is Bob Stanley. Wasn't there a Bob Stanley that was a catcher? Yeah, there certainly was. Yeah. So this one, though, is the pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. No value. And no mustache, no stirrups that I can see. Just all around disappointing for Bob Stanley. Apparently there wasn't a Bob Stanley that was a catcher. Only one Bob Stanley comes up. His nicknames were Stanley Steamer or Bigfoot. <laughs> wow. Stanley Bigfoot. Steamer seems like one that you would you should have known. <laughs> yeah, you would think, but no, I no, I drew a blank on it. Yeah. My fault. But he finished with a 115 and 97 mark. Not bad. In 13 years. Oh. No. And a uh, 3.64 ERA. Not bad for Mr. Stanley nice. Steamer. All right, I've got my second Hall of Famer coming up. Oh, man. But, you know, these Hall of Famers, well, I mean, this one is famous for always wearing the two-in-ones. It's very disappointing. Here he is with the Chicago Cubs, who he came up with. It is don't stand too close to him in the shower, Mr. Greg Maddox. Yeah, the great Greg Maddox. Uh, nice card. Yeah, nice card. Beckett has no value. <laughs> no value uh, because this isn't his rookie card he doesn't have a mustache doesn't have that little porn stash and he does have the two-in-one stirrup so i am only going to get four cents out of that card which is disappointing but that'll bring me up to 11 cents next this guy has thrown a no hitter before for the milwaukee brewers left-hander it is teddy higuera teddy higuera yes absolutely good pitcher he became a he was a pitching coach i think maybe for the mariners yeah, for a little bit so. quite a quite a yeah he Still still hanging around somewhere. Uh, Teddy Higuera pitched for nine years, uh, all with the Milwaukee Brewers. Finished with a 94 and 64 mark. That's not bad. Wow. In 1988, wow. he went 16 and 9, 2.45 wow. ERA. And as a starter, his whip was 0 0.999. That's in 31 ball games. That, that is incredible. Yeah, you don't see that often at all. No. That's amazing. 227 in the third innings, only 168 hits. Uh, let's see, struck out 192, walked only 59. Wow. Had an ERA plus of 162 and didn't finish anywhere in the Cy Young Award top echelon. That's weird. That is, that's an incredible season right there. Wow. But uh, no value from Beckett. He does have real stirrups, though, so I do get one cent. That'll bring me up to 12 cents. Next, we've got father of Bo Bichette. It is outfielder for the California Angels, Dante Bichette. Dante, the lesser known of the Bichettes. Um, no value there from Beckett. Does not have a mustache, though, which is disappointing. And it's just during BP. I can't see, can't see any stirrups or anything. Dante Bichette, I remember mainly from Colorado. I know he came up with the, yep. with the Angels. Had a quick stint with the Brewers. 
hit 40 home runs in 1995, led the league in home runs and RBIs, and slugging percentage that year. Four-time All-Star. Not bad. I think his, his, no, he's good. his son probably, as we, we mentioned, probably already more well-known. He was traded by the Angels to the Brewers for Dave Parker, hmm. the Cobra. Like I said, though, no value there. So I'm stuck on 12 cents. Next, we've got Al Newman with the Minnesota Twins. That is Al what? Me worry? Newman. <laughs> yeah, that is not the same Al Newman. No value in Uh-oh. Beckett's. No actual value from anything I can spy in this card. Gosh darn it. Next, we've got pitcher for the Chicago Cubs with a very faint mustache, and I'm sure that's all that's going to get me points here. It is Dean Wilkins. Dean Wilkins. It's a rookie card, so it's going to get me three cents. (laughs) Plus that mustache. So that's a four-cent card. That'll bring me up to 16 cents. I'm closing in with about five cards left. I'm nine cents away. Mm. Uh, Actually, four cards left. Next, we have got pitcher lefty for the Detroit Tigers. Frank Tananarama. Frank Tanana Daiquiri. Yes. Oh, is that was Solid that his official picture. nickname? I was pretty proud with my Tananarama. I like your Tananarama uh, actually a little bit better. But if you don't know who Bananarama was, <laughs> it just sounds weird. Which is weird because uh, Baseball Reference has no nicknames listed. Uh, Frank Tanana pitched for 21 seasons. That doesn't surprise me. He seemed like he was around forever. Well, he's a lefty too. Led the league in strikeouts right. in 1975 with the Angels of 269. Had an ERA plus of 154 in 1977 and led the league in losses with a 7-18 and 18 mark for the Rangers in 1982. Well, that's a bummer. No value, though, from that card. No mustache, and I can't see any stirrups. Next, we have got probably the only major leaguer to ever hail from St. George, Utah. It is Mr. Bruce Hurst here with the San Diego Padres. I tell you what, I used to love that guy. I used to love watching him pitch, you know, uh, lefty, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, and he just was—he was just a darn good pitcher. I mean, you, you never really wanted to face him. I don't remember him, you know, being uh, as devastatingly frightening as other pitchers uh, of the era. But he—he he didn't want to face Bruce Hurst. He was too good. He—he he could beat you on any given day. Fifteen years, one forty-five and one thirteen record, a three-point-nine-two ERA, just steady. Yeah. Let's see if did he have actually. He had one, two losing seasons in his entire career. Nothing, wow. you know, he had an 18 and six mark in 1988. Beyond that, you know, he never really was, was you know, finished 10 games over 500, but he was always over 500. Not bad. Had 10 complete yep. games in 1989, four shutouts in 1990. Yep. Yeah, just a solid wow. pitcher. Very good pitcher, absolutely. And I, when, but when I was talking to, to Vance Law, just kind of offline before he came on, I mentioned that Vance Law and Bruce Hurst having grown up in Salt Lake City in Utah. They were two of the players that I followed just because there were so few major leaguers that it had anything to do with the state of Utah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but no value for me there, so I'm stuck on 16 cents. Uh, next, we've got a Major League Prospects card with two guys on it. So I'm hoping that maybe these guys were very highly thought of. None of them went on to really have much of a career. <laughs> it is a catcher for the Atlanta Braves' Kelly Mann. And third baseman for the Dodgers, Dave Hansen. I think Hansen went on to have a, a decent career. Not, not, not much of a superstar, but I think he had a career. Yeah, I remember, I remember Hansen. I, I believe he played for a bit, but uh, I'm not familiar with the other gentleman. Wow. So as I said, it's a, it's a prospects card. That is an eight-cent card. <laughs> oh. 
Oh, come on. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> neither, they're both too young to even have mustaches, I think. But no stirrups that I can see or anything that would gather any more, anything else for me, which is a shame. But that brings me up to 24 cents. One cent away with one card left. Who can it be now? And now, this card, there is no mustache and there is no stirrups. There's no Mims bands. There's nothing that will add or subtract any cent from whatever Beckett's score is this. So this is like full count, runner on third, two outs, bottom of the ninth type of thing here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, this name doesn't give me, I'm hoping this is a rookie card. It is an outfielder <laughs> for the Dodgers. It is Jose Gonzalez. And mm, uh, I don't think this is going to be his rookie card. No. Struck out swinging, <laughs> blew the fastball wow. right past him, and that will do it. I am going to once again lose by a single cent, 25 to 24. Hey, I, I called a pitcher's duel, and that's what we got. Yeah. Well, at least, you know, I got Ricky's number for my final cent. That's true. So you have that to I'll keep take you warm awesome. But regardless, you now lead three to one, starting to break it Good open job. right away. 100% skill, man. Yeah. Good good work, though. Congratulations. That'll do it for another episode of Wax Pack Heroes. Uh, let's start to wrap up the show, Mark. I'd like to thank everybody, uh, our, as we like to do every time. I'd like to thank all of our listeners. We really do appreciate uh, you listening. If you want to get a hold of us, we, you can do so on social media. We are both on Twitter and Instagram at Two Strike Noise. That is at T W O Strike Noise. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. I am seriously behind on posting these Wax Packs Heroes. Maybe I'll start to get around to them once the season is over and I don't have quite as much to do. But uh, search for Two Strike Noise on YouTube, or uh, you can look in the show notes. I have all those links. Mark, if they want to get a hold of us via email, they can do so. How would they go about that? Uh, we do have an electronic mail address. It is Two Strike Noise. Spell it out, T-W-O, Strike Noise at gmail.com. All right. And uh, we sure, certainly appreciate it if you wanted to rate or review our podcasts. Also, if you just wanted to share when we post anything on social media or tell people about it, we really do appreciate it. That really does help. We've gotten some new listeners that way. Also, just send us a DM or hit us up on either of those, any of those ways, and uh, we will be sure to respond to you. We really do appreciate it. Absolutely. We've got some good things coming up in the, in the future. I suggest we, we both show up next week to do a show. That way there will be a future that people can look forward to. All right. Let me look in my schedule. Oh, yeah. There's absolutely zero things. I'll be there. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and hopefully the show isn't the only thing you're looking forward to in the future, because that would be a pretty <laughs> bleak lifestyle. But if it yeah. is, we're here for you and we'll try to make it fun. So <laughs> That's right. We're here for you. 100% of the way. All right. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. And we will see you again next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.